morning. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to the Daily Bible Wrap-Up. I'm going to jump right in. We are in Psalm 76. I'm going to read one quote from here. Make vows to the Lord your God and keep them. Seems simple enough, right? But how often do we pray something like, well, you know, I'll do this if you do this. Like we're negotiating with God, and that's not the way it's supposed to go. And then even if the prayer is answered, sometimes we then forget our part of the bargain. It's like, well, you said you were going to do this. It's like, you know, oh, I'll never do this again if you just get me through this one thing. That's when we kind of use prayer, or maybe I should use the word abuse prayer, where we're we're basically using it as a uh, as an ask for God to provide stuff that we want, not necessarily what God wants, and 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 that's where sometimes I I, I like to boil things down to simplicity. It's like the only vow that we should really make is to live in obedience to Him. That everything else will follow after that. Now, what does that mean? What does being obedient to him mean? Well, then that's what our prayer should be, to have the knowledge and the wisdom to understand what it is and how we should live a God-directed life here in, in time where we are distracted and tempted by so many material items and and just the the nature of ourselves it's a struggle and and it's not something that we can do on our own we've talked about that many times and and solomon again he when he was given the opportunity to pray for anything he asked for wisdom and that is a really good example of how we should approach prayer in my opinion we go over to New Testament. We are in Acts 13, verse 42. Now, Paul and Barnabas, they must have made quite an impression because they were invited back to the, speak at the synagogue the following week. Remember last week or yesterday, they had spoken because they were asked, if anybody here has some encouraging words, please speak. And then we talked about the seven or so takeaways from Paul's discussion. Well, some Jews were jealous that maybe it's because the message was for the Gentiles as well. I, I'm not really sure here, and I'll we'll touch on that in just a moment as to why. Paul did verify that the message of salvation was for the Gentiles, quoting Isaiah 49.6. But the Jews' jealousy grew, and they incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas and ran them out of town. So they went to another place where their message was apparently accepted at least at first, I would guess, because then we go over to Acts 14. The whole process repeated itself again in Iconium, though this time, and here's the item that I was just referring to a couple moments ago, this time some of the Gentiles joined in the mob. So a little bit to unpack there maybe, originally I'm thinking that the mob in the first location was because the Jews were jealous that this message of salvation now is 
for the Gentiles as well, too, not just for the chosen people, so to speak. But here now you have Gentiles that are also like joining the mob and and I don't know, I guess the um just the impression I get is that maybe they were afraid of change. I think there's more to unpack there. I'm not really sure what it is, but in any case, they left and they went to Lasonia or Lyconia to preach. And we'll find out what happens with them there tomorrow. Old Testament, we are in 1 Kings 7, verse 23. Had to, as I started to read this, I had to remember where we were at from yesterday. So at first I'm thinking that this, this is still the description of Solomon's um, items for his palace, but it's actually for the temple. So at some point in time, I think maybe, and, and, and this is this is something that, is is a challenge sometimes when you get to a part in the bible that it seems like that there's just a lot of detail and and okay they're talking about all of these items or how the temple was constructed how solomon's palace was constructed just kind of like when we were in numbers and we're going through all of those numbers and you kind of get a little glazed over eyes and this and that and you may miss like transitions and some point they transition back to now about the I, talking about the items that were being made for the temple. And so that's where we picked it up today. Um, these are items that Haram is casting from bronze. And the first item is his large basin called the sea that can hold about 11,000 gallons of water. So it's huge. And it's three inches thick, uh, thick uh, bronze. And, and the, the enormity of this thing is, is significant. And so then the rest of the items talking about Haram made were all water related. And then, and then um, we go over to um, uh, the specifics of the construction of Solomon's palace. We already talked about that. Then the list of items, here's where I wanted to continue on, of um, items that Solomon or probably his workers, I guess, um, created for the temple furnishings all made of gold. Now, once the temple is all built, he took all of the gold and silver and other items, treasures that David had stored up for the temple. I'm assuming to help finance it. I'm not sure, but there was an awful lot of wealth involved here. Well, these were items that were dedicated for the temple, and so Solomon brought them into the temple for safekeeping, I guess. But there's one item missing still. Have you figured it out yet? Well, you're about to, because the one item we talk about in 1 Kings 8, if you haven't read that yet, the item is the Ark of the Covenant, because it's been sitting outside in a tent in the tabernacle all this time, I believe. The temple's now there, time to bring the ark in. This is a, I get the impression, a great, great festival. There were so many animal sacrifices that they couldn't count. Wondrous joy, and particularly um, that the ark actually, now the ark contains, this is a little bit of an interesting thing. It contains the two tablets that Moses brought from Sinai, Mount Sinai. 
It has the Ten Commandments on them. But no mention of Aaron's staff or the manna that was put in there. Unless I missed something along the way, I guess we never found out who or why, who took out or why they took out the manna and Aaron's staff. Because it was placed in there at one point in time. There's a lot with the Ark that remains a mystery. and So, I don't think we'll ever find it. If you subscribe to Indiana Jones, it's in a warehouse somewhere controlled by the U.S. government. I don't think that's the case. That is a good movie, though. I am looking forward to, I digress here, but I am looking forward to Dial of Destiny. It looks rather interesting to continue. I guess I wouldn't have thought that what would it be, 42 years after the first Indiana Jones movie came out, that they would be making another one with Harrison Ford? So, anyway, the story there continues, and the story here continues. So the Ark is brought in, and the um, glory of the Lord filled the temple. It was a thick cloud. To me, this is an indicator of, of God's, not only God's presence, but God's... Um, agreement, pleasure, acceptance, um, all those aren't the right word that I'm trying to find right now, but he, he, he is agreeable to what the people have done, and he is therefore there among the people. So Solomon prayed to God at that point in time and then praised God in front of all the people, because this is, again, a very big, big, big deal. Think about, again, the size of the temple. And again, if you're a visual person like I am, I would encourage you to look up on the internet a just look for a model of the temple and a model of Solomon's palace. And you can kind of look through and, and identify items there that are related to the temple and, and to the uh, palace. You can get an idea of the size. Anyway, that is it for today. I hope that you... Walk by the Spirit today, and we'll see you tomorrow. Take care.